This is the Indian Players Podcast, recorded sometime in September 2020. In our offline discussions, you know, we talked about monopoly to be a critique of the system, you know, mm-hmm. to point out the negativities of capitalism that ironically transformed really is at its, at its core about cutthroat capitalism, right? It's really about it, if the way, if it's played properly and not the way they, that, uh, Jeanette, you've, you've described how, is it your uh, niece? Cousin? Rainbow, yes, yes, yeah. niece. <laughs> The, the rainbow the rainbow way of playing which is actually a great way because that's that's a great way that she's gamified it into something different mm-hmm. is that it's about acquiring everything and destroying your enemies and then we look at the other games that have been produced like the game of life it's about making the right choices and it's really about reinforcing the nuclear family it's re it's really about like you know either you are the big winner but everybody else is the big loser right because it's Mm-hmm. And that's and how, how it works and how you always choose things. And I remember playing a game called Payday, which was different. That one was about trying just to knock out and cover your, your bills for the month. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one we, we played, which is called Billionaire. And it was really about proxy fights, stock options, really huge things. I mean, and the game board was divided into North America, South America, Eurasia, the Pacific, you know, rim stuff like that. So everything how it was built was really much more about the mega. And so it's like, when we look at these things, I mean, the, the games that we have normalized, what we call evergreen games, that's what they all do. They reinforce that concept and destroying your enemies by, by financial ruin. You know, that that's, that's the name of the game. When we look at the when we look at some Euro games, which I've started playing a little bit more up to get a better understanding of this, it's like they they follow some similar things and they're, they're, they may be set in a different historical period and they're euphemistically called worker placement games. It really still is about the acquisition of wealth and the top person wins. And they may not necessarily have a crush your enemy underfoot destroy them economically, but it still is based on, you know, the one with the most toys wins. Yeah. No, that's, that's like, uh, that's definitely true. I, I, I can see how all of those, like, are just recreating that system. Um, something that kind of kept coming up in my head uh, as you're saying that is because it's like, if we go back to discussions we've had about why people play games or, you know, aside from just the enjoyment in the moment, um, a lot of these games that feature an economic system it almost seems like they're tailored in a way so that it's a wish fulfillment of economic success and so um because i was like thinking about how especially with mmos you have the real world economy which allows you to buy a game you have a kind of transitional economy which is the way that your real world money transfers to this virtual economy and then of course inside the game you have that virtual economy Um, but everyone has the ability to be successful there. So it almost like in this weird way strips away those uh, nuances that tend to keep people from economic success 
and it's just like by buying in you get to be economically successful uh just kind of as this other feature of a game because that's something that i found in most mmos uh or even just in general rpgs is that you know squalor is not the realism that they like to portray for the player character no squalor no racism no systemic mm -hmm. oppression yeah you know, maybe they'll feature it for other people, but it's something that you can kind of always just avoid or be the savior of, right? Mm -hmm. If I see a game that I like, I will tend to buy every bit of what I can afford to get for oh, yeah. it. So that's why I have a tendency to avoid certain games to where it's like it requires deep pockets to... As you're saying that about games, I mean, I couldn't help but think that that just doesn't tie into this consumer mentality. So back in the 70s when I was like quilting, it's like the whole thing was, you know, the person who dies with the biggest stash of fabric that they haven't used is the winner. Um, and this whole <laughs> idea of, uh, or, or even knitting, the big thing now is knitting. And it's like, oh, buy this yarn and, and you might eventually figure out what you want to do with it but buy it and then you can mm -hmm. just pour it in your closet rather than at the store. Yeah. Um, and it, it's kind of like your games. It's like, yeah, I know a lot of people who just have cupboards and storage areas full of, you know, um, crafting materials that they'll probably never use. Um, I know it's a long way, but I think that's actually kind of like why we're, why we're discussing this whole notion of economics and games, because that's what, I think Monopoly does. I think that's what the game of life does. I think they teach us to accumulate things, that it's the accumulation of things that is good, right? Because you're supposed to have the most. I mean, more than, more than any human would ever actually need to live a good life. And this was my little segue into when we can start talking about potlatch, because what does potlatch do for us? Yeah, I mean, well, because, yeah, talking about Potlatch in that way, because we, we learn from many games, especially some Euro games, where victory points is the key to winning. And in that, you have like, oh, get this complete set of this to get this many victory points. Have mm -hmm. the, you know, the longest road to get, you know, this many victory points or, you know, uh, one of each of these resources and things like that. And so you even like just built into the the way we assign points and victory in games is, mm -hmm. is tied to that accumulation of stuff and whereas in potlatch yeah it's it's very different well one of the things i like about potlatch too is you know we put in the um the status cards and and the first uh, blush the first thing people want to do is like well how do i get more status cards and then when the game is over they say okay what do we do with the status cards it's like nothing the win-lose situation is if everybody gets their needs met and yes you have status cards that's good mm -hmm. if you don't have it that's okay <laughs> well and it's it's an important thing to have i'm like i'm glad that's the decision we made because it was yeah. it, it was something that was recognized in that system but ultimately it came down to it's like well but did everyone get taken care of yeah exactly yes. so one of the things I was wondering, you talk about Euro games, are those like games out of Europe? 
Yeah, like a really good comparison is like um, like uh, like Japan and uh, Risk being like Euro game versus American game, where it's like Risk is technically a grand military strategy game, but it ultimately comes down to you could sit in Australia, get two units every turn, and just roll really well, and then somehow still win. Like so, yeah. Versus you know where it's. it's you know, the almost a higher level of thinking. And that's like where people's views on the games they play really starts to show some of their own uh, prejudice is that they're like, well, I play Euro games. You know, these are grand high strategy games. You need to, you know, be real big brain and uh, have a high IQ to master these games because, you know, the, the common folk or, you know, uh, Americans can't, uh, you know, play them that well. But, you know, like you said, the Euro, the, the, the Euro gamers, yeah, they do have some involvement, but, you know, they still are kind of like ignoring, I think, the Euro part, right? As in, what systems are they replicating within their games? They're trying to get away from the Amera aspect, but, you know, they're still replicating a common core at, at its deepest level, or most common level, right? of what's normal for economics what's normal for for victory you know those mm -hmm. type of things yeah well it's uh, yeah a lot of games like that just can't seem to let go of that uh that almost trope of like okay we just did this big awesome adventure but we need to thin the party out so we don't have to split the loot as many ways you know because there's a lot of games where it's like if we don't all win then we'll all fail but if we kick a few of the players down along the way, we'll win more. Um, but I have a, there was a reason I asked about what's a Euro game. Mm -hmm. um, because one thing that we never seem to talk about, and I, I don't know if it doesn't exist, but what about games that like come out of China or other, you know, there's, there's a whole big world. Yeah. Out there. Well, it's funny you said that because while we were talking um, up in, just my Google like browser, I, I literally was like uh, modern Asian board games. And the first five searches all say traditional Asian board games. And then I was like, mm -hmm. okay, what about modern African board games? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's like, again, first few searches are all traditional African board games. Um, and that got me thinking about how if you make a game, even in America, and it mm -hmm. has like Euro game features, they'll still call it mm -hmm. a Euro game because mm -hmm. it's like a euro game and so it's mm -hmm. there's almost this like uh i'm sure some underlying erasure of you know if someone makes a game in africa and someone's like oh well you know that game has uh you know these qualities and strategies and things like that so it's still a euro game and just like mm -hmm. uh so just yeah because it's you brought that up and i was like thinking the same thing i was like well you know what economic systems like i mean i can think of like Takedo, but i don't even yeah. think I don't, I don't know who made that game or where that game necessarily came from or the, the people who, you know, sourced information for it. Um, you know, I mean, the only African game I know is Moncala, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I don't know enough about it to speak to what economic system that might, uh, you know, if, if they're the origin yeah. behind it. But uh, yeah, like there's a whole world of games. But, you know, it's again, we come down to, you know, Ameritrash and Euro. Euro games, right? Well, doing a quick check, because um, if I remember correctly, the Kaido's from Fun Forge Games, I think so. 
Mm -hmm. And if it is, uh, it's from a company out of Europe. It kind of seems that way because it kind of uh, exoticizes. It feels like it's exoticizing mm -hmm. some aspects of um, Asian culture. It's like the that um, Spirit Island, you know. Oh yeah. Spirit Island, really, folks? I mean, really? <laughs> you couldn't have thought of another way to name a cooperative game? Mm -hmm. Oh, um, man. Speaking of games that just, like, I don't know, somehow dropped the ball, like, uh, um, Amazon is releasing kind of like a, an MMO game. Mm -hmm. And um, what's it called? I think it's... I think it's literally called New World. And like the image of the game is this guy who has like a very uh, Spanish like conquistador style helmet. Um, but everything in the game is like you're traveling from this land that has this weird different name and you're traveling to this new world which has this weird different name. But then like the cutscene that talks about traveling across the sea literally shows the East Coast in Cuba. And so it's like they made up all this other stuff, but it's like you're you're you know you're still traveling to, you know, North America effectively, yeah. even though yeah, everything yeah. this is different, even though magic exists. Yeah, um, isn't this the one where like they like there's some temple that they find ruins and like they get turned into undead or whatever? Yeah, there's like yeah. corruption in the new world, and they have to purge it of evil. <laughs> it's it's the way I got through just that layer of it to play it is I was like, this must be like someone basically bringing back their horror story from when they landed in the new world. And then someone basically taking it to the nth degree as truth. Be like, you know, there's, there's things in the wild. The wolves are the size of cows. And, you know, it's just every horrible thing anyone's ever said. It's just like the game translates it to basically being true. And so the new world is this horrible, savage, like place where there's monsters and literal undead and like forces of magic that they thought were gone from Europe forever. But uh, yeah, and um, wild, the wild place. Mm -hmm. um, but like one thing that the game does have going for it is like, of course, it has all the drapings of a normal economic system and trading in game, but. Uh, a lot of the times um, games will have like, you know, daily tasks you can do for rando guy to get a reward. But uh, when you go into a community, you have to build favor with that community. And the way you build favor with the community is by helping them with things in the village. So it's like, hey, we're building this new thing over here. We need 500 lumber. So you go out, you get lumber, you bring it back. They're like, oh, thank you. You get favor in the community. And then you get, you know, faster harvesting in that region and things like that. And so there's kind of this Peace like. Corps. Yeah. Hmm? Peace Corps. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very, very much like centered around this. And it's like changing the frontier narrative to helping people survive from, you know, expanding the empire. Um, but yeah, it's. it's it was just, it's interesting to see that in a game instead of the, oh, there's bad evil people out there. We need to expand for the empire and kill them. I, I, I still don't think I'll trust them. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was just, I thought it was funny because it's like, the drapings of the game are very much like, this is obviously what it is. And even Mm -hmm. though they changed all the names, it's like they still chose to just use an actual map of North America and Cuba for like the story portion of the game. Because once you get there, I mean, it's all, you know, very randomly whatever made maps of Mm -hmm. stuff. So it's Mm -hmm. in no way, there's no like monuments where you're like, oh, that's clearly this thing on the East Coast. It's nothing Mm -hmm. like that. But it's just in this one cutscene where they explain everything. It's like, in case you (laughs) didn't know, this is a game about Western expansion from Europe. <laughs> the the kinder, gentler expansion, like they, they did in New Zealand. Mm. The claim. The claim that mm-hmm. Yes, it's the claim, at least. Yes. One of the things is, is that, you know, a lot of gamers, they're only familiar with these two concepts of Ameritrash and Euro games. So naturally, they're, those are the terms that they understand, and that's what they're going to use which I think ties quite nicely into how we've been talking about games and economics, that they only really know one economic system, so that's going to be the economic system that they're mm-hmm. going to use, which is what goes back to why when we were teaching people how to pay, play Potlatch, now unless they were people from college culture or eight-year-olds, their minds really hurt because they were so trained into the status cards. You know, like yeah, they, they, that, yeah. that, that meant something and that, oh, if I complete someone's needs and I get this and I'm accumulating this thing that then they realize that, oh, wait, that's not the path to victory. That actually has no path to victory. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it actually is more often a path to defeat if that's your intent is just to get as much status as possible without looking at the long game and looking at everybody else's needs that that really threw them off. I was just going to say, like, and even one thing I noticed with Potlatch is, if I recall correctly, nowhere in our rules does it say where, it just says you have a hand of resources. Mm -hmm. Nowhere does it say that you have to keep those resources secret. But every time I've taught people how to play or showed them how to play, everyone's like, these are my resources. No one else can see what resources I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like this, this mindset of, like, if people know what I have, then they'll try and take it from me. But it's like you're literally playing a game where it's like, I have these resources, who can I help with them? Yeah. And so it's, uh, I think only when I've played with people who kind of get it after maybe playing a few times, does someone go, well, why don't we play with our hands exposed so we can help each other on each turn? And it's like, hey, yeah. there you go. You're finally yeah. starting to kind of get it. It's like, you know, it's, it's not a game about stealing resources. So it's like, why hide them? But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what we noticed when we were playing with the eight-year-olds because when they finally figured out the game after their first go-around, they, that's what they did is put their hands down and, okay, let's start talking and, okay, who has what? Okay, let's, they were starting to figure out how to, how to get each other their needs met, mm-hmm. you know, because they're still at the age where they're told and taught to share. Yeah. And then we get older and we're taught to not trust. We're taught to hoard. So as you're talking about some of this stuff, John, it also made me realize that when we push back a little bit, and, and this gets back to what you were talking to, um, um, Tyler, about, you know, uh, African games and stuff. If you push back a little bit against that capitalism, 
it feels like then it's instantly uh, in, infantile and made really simple. <laughs> um, so that I was reading uh, or, and listening and reading to some recent um, literature that's come out about uh, indigenous economics. And while acknowledging, you know, the shared economic aspect, they said a very important part of shared economies is trading outside of your economic base. So each village, each community would be um, self-sufficient within their shared economic system. But outside of each village, it was still very important to have these trade centers set up. But they were set up, the way it was explained is that they were set up so that the villagers would know what the other village needed. And so they would accumulate that to then trade with the other village, knowing that that's what they need. And, and I presume that it was vice versa. But you know, when you talk about not capitalism, it seems to be so often black or white. And it's like, they don't, don't fully, you don't fully get to hear about these nuances of the shared economy that we know as potlatch or giveaway economies. Mm -hmm. Whereas in, you know, the capitalistic structure, someone else's need becomes an opportunity to increase profit. Right? Exactly. And that's built in as, so you look at what's capitalism and books and books and, and you know, classes and huge amounts of information are talked about the, the intricacies of capitalism. And then you talk about shared economies and you'll get two paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, wow, it's pretty simple. And you know, primitive people must've done it. And, and just completely, like you say, either, claiming it for themselves, Euro trashing, or you're making it Euro-like, or else discounting it completely. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and we see that in like authoritarian structures and governments too, is that the problem with shared economies and why we have that history of destroying them as a, as a government, right, mm -hmm. uh, that we exist in is because of that self-sufficiency, right? You know, I mean, when we talk about potlatch uh, in our paper we wrote, you know, part mm -hmm. of that was because they were like, wait, these communities aren't paying taxes. Why mm -hmm. aren't they paying taxes? Don't they work? And then they go there and they're like, oh, what's this thing that they're doing? They're just giving the things they need to each other. It's like, now we got to put a stop to that. Like, yeah. you know, you, banning potlatch is just outright, you guys need to go get jobs. And so then you like fabricate this dependency you know, exactly. by convincing people that there's no other way. Yeah. Well, and that I think fabricating that dependency was part of the, the colonial agenda. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's just simply the haves and the have nots. You know, most of us are not capitalists. We live in capitalism. Matter of fact, most of us are captives of capitalism or hostage. However, we're all, so many of us are suffering from Stockholm syndrome. And 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 the thing is is that even with that i mean we have to remind everybody that when we're talking about these shared economies we are not talking about socialism and so if so if we're not careful people will think we're talking about socialism when we're not because then what we're doing is we're trying to identify a completely different system that developed you know without any contact from any western influence over millennia time immemorial 
but you know, but then one of the things I'm start, starting to think about, you know, as our clock is winding down, is is still I now I'm really intrigued to to find out what is there out there in these other game spaces that are not you know historical traditional games from other parts of the world and interested now in finding out about who is designing games out there you know from africa from all over asia you know and what is it that they're doing like how many of them are are variations of existing themes you know and how and how many others are really not just cutting but bleeding edge you know development it's challenging um, because so much of the world today has been colonized by literal, you know, either literally colonized um, by Europe or some of the major powers in Asia. Um, and so, uh, you know how it is, the, the trying to decolonize our thinking um, shows up a lot in, in the gaming world. But also we have to realize that a lot of people who are getting into these spaces, they want to make a living out of it, you know, yeah. and, and, and yeah. they have every right to. And unfortunately, you know, the path that people tend to go down is, well, what's, what's selling right now? What is the most marketable yeah. thing? And once in a while, somebody will come up with something that is truly innovative and then that will get imitated until the next thing comes around. And that's actually kind of a thing that, that, you know, in a different conversation I've been having with a few people that we're seeing occurring in a lot of indigenous creative efforts is that they're, that they're replicating so much of the same things that, mm -hmm. that, that it's, it's so heavily saturated, you know, it, it's like the, the, the ground can no longer absorb what's being produced. And the thing that that is just been anecdotal is like, well, what what resources what resources are available for them, i.e., the funding yeah, that's available, yeah. and a lot of the funding that's available really helps to perpetuate those notions of uh, marginalization. Oh, mm -hmm. you're a marginalized person. We'll provide you more money to talk about how you're marginalized and express yeah. marginalization which is good in one sense, but also risks the danger of really reinforcing that. Yeah, yeah, hugely reinforcing. I mean, think of uh, academic grants. That's all it is. You, you don't get money for you know, doing something different. You get money for furthering the status quo. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of like that, um, there's that, that point where it's like, what do you do with all the funding you get once everyone's aware of the cause that you were getting funding for, mm -hmm. right? Because we have, uh, you know, I mean, so many organizations that I could think of when I was in high school where their whole thing was like, we need to build awareness about this thing that's going on. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, everyone was aware, but then, then what happened? Because that company was just built on bringing awareness to it. Mm -hmm. We probably should end soon because I have to go someplace. Oh, yeah. And, um, and still have nothing resolved as we always do. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we definitely have a part two of, you know, go out, do some research and find examples or play some games from 
outside of our normal American and Euro spaces. So, okay then. Thank you.